Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Go ahead and read the text. Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verse 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Are there, all the ch- are there any children in here? Okay, here we go. Here we, we're all children. Amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live a long life on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke or exasperate, says another version, do not provoke or exasperate your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Father, thank you for what you're going to do. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was preaching that message, the Lord spoke to me uh, a a phrase that I've heard before. It was a long, long time ago, a series that Dr. Morocco preached, and I'd love to get my hands on his notes and and all of that, and I'll I'll make an effort to do that. It was, I think it was done in the early 90s, or it might have even been in the late 80s, a series called Healing Your Family Tree. It might even be part of our curriculum that's back there in the archives, but as I heard that phrase, teach them to heal their family tree, I, I, I knew exactly what the Lord was after. And so we preached on curses and blessings, and I would encourage you to go listen to that and listen to it again and get it deep down in your spirit. And tonight in the second message, I want to talk about the godly family. The godly family. And going to look at a bunch of scripture, and I'm going to need, I'm going to need some of my staff's help, so get ready to uh, look at some of these scriptures here that I will give you. Uh, most of them are in the Proverbs, uh, starting uh, in the Proverbs 13, Proverbs 22. We'll, we'll get there. Godly children don't happen by accident. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Oh, you know, I meant to do something. Sarah, did you lose your dad? Yeah, did he go to, he went to see Jesus, didn't he? Well, I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you? Come on, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, Sarah. We're family. I'm going to interrupt my message for a moment. Just right where you are. Reach your hands towards our precious sister. God has done such a mighty deliverance for you. And we're so very proud of you, sweetheart. And Father, I ask now in Jesus' name that you would bring the comfort that comes only from heaven, the comfort, the love of God, even that comes from the people of God, and that you would bless her and help her and strengthen her and heal her in her grief as her father has graduated and gone on to heaven. We look forward to meeting him and seeing him later. In the name of Jesus, bless Sarah and her whole family at the loss of their father. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, Sarah. Bless you. Yeah, I don't know how you do church without a family. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you live without a church family. It's, it's better said. Children don't just become men of God. These, you know, I'm... Looking across the front at my staff, and you know they've got notes and they're doodling, and and that's good. You know, you don't you don't expect a, a seven or eight year old or a nine or a ten year old to listen at the same capacity and same intelligence level as a thirty year old. I know some thirty year olds that listen at the capacity of a ten year old, but what I am saying <laughs> is that we have family night like tonight where we don't have children's ministry. Somebody said, how come you don't have any children's ministry? Because we have children's ministry, all the other services. If you don't have kids in church, they'll never know what it is. And so if you could see what I see, the families that are faithful to bring your kids, 
I see the Word of God going in. Like right now, most of them are listening because they know I'm talking about children. I see all your beautiful faces looking at me, right? And I know some people are, you know, you've, you've got your, your building blocks on the floor or whatever, and that's great. It's important to raise up a generation that's going to serve the Lord. One of the, things, one of the things I'm so pressed by, the Catholics got this right in that they started schools all over. And they basically for lack of a better word, indoctrinated a culture in certain areas with Catholicism. And so when you grew up in a Catholic school, man, you, you, you respected the nuns. I mean, you had the fear of God. I mean, they didn't have it all right together. And, you know, there's Mariology and a lot of weirdness and things that are not biblical. But, but Catholics, they get, if they're raised in, in Catholic schools, sometimes they're bitter and they're angry and they get wounded and stuff. But many times they, they do believe in God. They do believe in Jesus. They do believe in the Holy Spirit and they have this fear of the Lord. There's a lot of wonderful things about it. And I'm going to just tell you, we have to have a move of God in families. We have to see children raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have to see a move of God in our youth. Because if we don't, we won't be having church 30 years from now. And, and I, I think, honestly, we're going to have to start a school because, because we need a, a spirit-filled school. You say, how are you going to do that? I have no idea. But then again, I didn't know how to even brush my teeth when I first got saved, so I'm... My teeth are clean right now. Hallelujah. Got deodorant on. Come on. Jesus saved me. He saved you. We're here. Glory to God. $8.2 million into a building already. We're going to finish that thing. I don't know how any of it happens by the power of the grace of God. So would you pray and would you agree? Would that not be amazing if we had a school that you could put your beautiful children in? That got, we're going to have one. Can you say amen? Can you say a better amen? But you can't, you can't delegate the training of your own children. You can't delegate the training of your own children. It has to take place in the home too. And um, we have to remember who we are. If, you know, this Ephesians is, is really amazing. Paul in Ephesians 5, walking in love and light and wisdom, tells you to, you know, get rid of all uncleanness there in verse 3. Wow. Verse 5. For this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I mean, he's just going on to say, awake, O sleeper. You know, be imitators of Christ. He talks about husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? Christ, is, is, Christ means is, is Greek for anointed one. So it's, it's, Christ is not his last name. I thought that was his last name for What's your name? Jesus. Oh, what's your last name? Christ. Oh, now that, that, that's his title. It's, it's, it, he's the anointed one. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. So Jesus, or just as Christ loved the church, what did Jesus do for the church? Well, he made the church by being crucified. I'm going to tell you, sir, as it goes with you, so goes your marriage. You can try to point the finger at your wife as much as you want, but if you'll learn to walk like Jesus, if you'll learn to just do the crucified, resurrected life, then you'll have a healthy marriage because there's not a woman on the earth that can withstand the love of God that comes from a man of God who's filled with prayer, walking in holiness and purity. It'll, it'll make you irresistible. It changes everything in your marriage. Do you understand there's children here? It changes everything. Quit belly aching and pointing the finger and grow up. Grab yourselves by your bootstrap. Get discipled. Get on fire for God. You know, we're new creatures. We're new, we're new people. And, it, and really, a, a godly family, talking about how to heal your family tree, most of us, let me say it this way, 
All of us were impacted by our fathers, or maybe you didn't have one, or by our mothers. All of us grew up in some family. Maybe you were, maybe you were a latchkey kid. Maybe, maybe you were in the, in the uh, uh, foster care system. Well, the different families that you visited all had an impact on you. Most, most people coming out of that kind of situation are very wounded and experience incredible rejection. And I don't know what your background is, but whatever your background is here tonight, and those of you that are listening online, those of you that listen in the future on Spotify or however you're hearing this message, you can heal your family tree. You see, your family tree is a picture of, of your genealogy that's brought you to, the, to you. But you can change your family now. You, you, can, you can start a new route. Come on, you can, you can start a new tree. You can cut off the curses and you can live in the blessing. You can raise a godly family. You can have a healthy marriage. Divorce is never coming to my house. Divorce will never come to my house. My kids will never get divorced. Divorce hit my family years ago and messed me up as a little kid. Ripped me in half at the age of six years old, seven years old. Ripped me in half. I was a broken-hearted kid for the longest time until I found Jesus, and he set me free. That curse is not coming on my family ever, so help me God. I meant my vows. My wife meant her vows, and daily, you know, we're going to continue to love each other and forgive each other, and if we, need, if we need help, and we need help sometimes, especially me. And we get counsel, and we get wisdom, and God speaks to us, and we pray. And we read the word and we endeavor to obey. And we, have a, we don't have a list of complaints and a long list of things. You know, we don't have a list. We don't have any secrets. There's certain ways that you can live so you have a healthy marriage. Come on, somebody ought to say hallelujah. Be imitators of God there in Ephesians 5. We're to live a life of love, an act of worship, to please God. All right, so in light of this, in, in, in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about families as, as a key, really, to any family. The key to every family is a husband and wife. And he said, well, I'm not married anymore. Okay, well, the key to your family is you and God. And you, God will make up the difference for the one that left or for the divorce. I said God will make up the difference. And I know it can be hard being a single mother or being a single father. It can be hard, but God will make up the difference. Can you say amen? Yes. So, you know, in a loving, in a, in a relationship of a husband and wife, if it's toxic, it affects the children. And my wife and I have worked out different toxic, you know, emotions and challenges. We, we weren't all together healed when we first got saved. <laughs> we needed some healing. Then, you know, we, we brought children into that, and, and our children were affected in adverse ways. But, and for that, you know, I've, I've grieved. I'm just being real. Listen, if you don't hear it real from me, I don't know who you're going to hear it from. And you think, oh, hey, I'm a pastor. Everything's just shandalanda. We're just serving God. Hallelujah. Everything's great. I walked on water yesterday. How about you? Are you kidding me? We all need help, man. And, you know, I came from a family of, of you know, that was broken. And, and Karen, if you don't mind me sharing some of your story, you know, Karen's mother was pregnant out of wedlock. You know, there were certain challenges that she experienced that she felt like she wasn't loved. She had to get healing. 
And if you as a husband and wife don't get healed, then your children will then bear the toxicity of your woundedness. Man, is this like hitting home? or Is there something wrong in here? Hmm. Do we need a praise break? You guys look like you're baptizing lemon juice right now. And, you know, in my family, as I was, you know, as I was a young father, I was very intense. I know that it's hard to imagine. <laughs> really intense. Super driven. And, you know, selfish at times. And, 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 and I was driven about, you know, the things of the Lord, which you can then say, well, it was the things of the Lord. No, it was, it was, it was, I, was I was out of balance. And uh, one of the things that would drive me nuts was that I, I don't like being late. I mean, can I tell you how much I don't like being late? I despise being late. And if people are constantly late f- for meetings and stuff I have, I lose respect. So, because it means to me that they don't care enough about me, my time, what's going on to be on time, to leave enough. It's more about them and their thing. Listen, set your stinking alarm 15 minutes earlier. I need to go skiing again. Something, Jesus. What you laughing at? You know you got the same challenge. I know you do. Ah. And so I would create this whirlwind of turmoil in my family. You know, it's kind of like I would do countdowns. You know, if it took 10 minutes to get to church to be on time for, you know, before church, it'd be like 20 minutes up. I'd be like, 20 minutes. You're like, 18 minutes. There's 15 minutes we need to get in the car and drive away in five minutes. Everybody understand? Five minutes. Yeah, in, in that voice. How loving. Be healed. Be healed. Be healed. I saw her like PTSD right there. Did you see that? She's like, ah. Be healed. Be healed. And then I'd be like, 60 seconds. Rakata Shanta. How many of you know you can beat somebody up with your prayer language? How many of you know you can beat someone up with your prayer language? <laughs> 30 seconds, shot, ta, toko, shot, ta, 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 ta. Like, what? <laughs> All right. So, you know, we needed healing, and I would create great stress. We've just about got everybody trained to be on time now, but it's, it was not always the right way. Let's move on. Love and respect are some of the key, f- key. <laughs> Let's just worship God for a second. <laughs> love and respect. And we have a whole curriculum on love and respect. And uh, Dr. Someone, I forget his name. Dr. Emerson Eggert is the one who wrote that Love and Respect book. And for all of you married people, you can go through that on your own. It is an excellent, excellent study, an excellent, excellent book. And it's the cycle of love and respect in a couple. See, women need love. That's not the number one thing a man wants. The number one thing a man wants is respect. If you ask a woman what she's looking for, she's looking for love. She's looking for safety, security. She's looking for love. A man, you ask him what she want, love or respect, and say, well, I want respect. 
If you'll, if you'll think, gentlemen, if you'll think about the times where you blew your stack or that which really grates you and gets on your last nerve, I will tell you it is most invariably because you felt disrespected about what happened. And we still, you know, I still go through some of that. Like I said, what did I say about being on time? When people are late, I feel disrespected. I feel like you don't care enough about me. And I feel dissed. You all know what dissed is? Yeah, and what is that? That Really what it is is it, it, it's a hurt. And so you can get angry over that. Anger's a cover for hurt many times. But, but for the woman, it's not respect. R-E-S-P-C-T. I know they sang the song, but it's really love. So if it, this vicious cycle, if you don't feel respected, then you can't give her the love she's looking for. If she doesn't receive the love that she's looking for and needing, not wanting, needing, then, then she will have a hard time respecting you. And the cycle goes around like this. So somebody's going to have to get off the crazy wheel and just put aside their, 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 their woundedness and begin to respect or begin to love that person, break that cycle and develop cycles of love and respect. It's powerful. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. And so those are keys in marriages. Let's look at this text as we talk about the godly family and the healing our family tree. I, I started saying something before I get into it. So we're, many of us have been wounded and hurt in our own family. So you have to stop that cycle. You have to stop that cycle that was passed on by your father and, and anger. Anger was something I really had to get over. I, I, got, I had to get healed. I was just like, man, I had a short fuse. I had no patience, you know, and, and it took me a while. And then just certain things which just sort of set me off. I needed deep healing, like, like some of you. And I'm, I'm encouraged to say, and I think I could interview my own children right now, and they would say the same thing. I, I've changed as I've grown up. I've matured. Thank you, God. It's a little bit slower than some would have wanted, but in nonetheless, nonetheless, I'm not like I used to be. I can take a breath. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The Apostle Paul speaking directly to children. All my children say, hey. hey. All the children in the house say, hey. hey. Much better. Except on the front row. Oh, your voice is changing. I understand. No problem. Come on, all the children, all the children say, hey. I think my voice is changing too. Jesus, help me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The Apostle Paul speaks directly to children, and this is amazing. It's amazing because in a Roman world, listen to me, in a Roman world, you know, the gospel that is so, it's, it's just, you want to talk about the height of offense. For the Apostle Paul to be writing this to people in a Roman world, children were considered non-persons. I mean, it's far worse than it is today. They were considered non-persons. They, I mean, a, a father could kill his son or daughter anytime he wanted to. It's no big deal. That's the way it was. And if he, if he wanted, a, wanted the son and he got a daughter, he could kill it. It's not a problem. I guess they still do that in some circles today. If he, if he, if he wanted to sell one of his children into slavery, he could do that. And so the apostle Paul is saying, you know, he's speaking to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Apostle Paul sold children from God as, as precious. 
I've heard you say over your children, my precious treasures. I hear Pastor Kirsten say that over his beautiful kids all the time. What a great thing. And, and, and they might not realize all that that means, but to hear that over your child, to hear that as a child over and over and over and over and over. My, my daughter, my daughter knows she's my princess. In my phone, it says my princess. When I call my daughter, I say, call my princess. And Siri says, calling my princess crown. And there's a little crown, little emoji crown. And, and the same thing over my son. I've told my kids, you're royalty. Going to change the world. Listen, you ought to do the same thing over your kids. Speak life. Prophesy over them. Wow. And um, children were in the worship service, which is another amazing thing. Even today, you know, children are not in most worship services. But children should be in a worship service. I don't mean just a children's church service, although, and I don't want to say just, our children's worship and children's church is amazing. It's amazing. And if you, if you had the chance to, to preview that or maybe sit in the back, and I don't, I don't know if we're able to do that. We couldn't do that for every family, obviously, because there could be nobody down here. <laughs> worship has been so incredible at our children's church at times that I've, I've gone into children's services to get touched by the Lord. That's how powerful those services are. I remember years ago, Minister Kimmy leading worship. You were just a great worship leader, not just a children's worship leader. You're a worship leader, worship leader of, of people. And I came in, I remember walking into the, a service where there's hundreds of kids, uh, Minister Kimmy's leading worship, and the power of God was coming down, and I just stood in the back and honestly, what was taking place in the children's church was twice what was taking place in the main sanctuary as far as anointing and presence. And I sat back there and I thought, come on. My kids are in this right here, being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amazing thing. So children are supposed to be in a worship service, and that's, that's strange for today. They've canceled most Sunday nights. I'm not canceling ours. I physically don't need another service. But my family needs a service. And for, for years, I'm allowing my son now. I mean, he's, he's a young man, so I don't mean to say allow. But for Sunday nights, all my kids would sit on the front row for the longest time. Now, you know, he's sitting back with his friends right now. So. So. But it's a beautiful thing to have your kids sit with you. I think you should do that. If you haven't had that as a pattern in your family, do it. Why? Because the family that worships together stays together. And there's all kinds of statistics on that. My, my, my. All right. Uh, since children obey, obey, that means that parents are to teach. That's profound. Children, children obey your parents in the Lord. You know what that means. Now think about that. If there's obey, obey the parents in the Lord, that means that parents are supposed to be teaching them something. Mic drop. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? If children obey their parents in the Lord, well, how are they supposed to know unless the parents are actually teaching them something from the Lord? Do you understand? You, the, it, it's an, the idea is that if you don't teach your children in the Lord, then you're going to have rebellious children. I, listen, rebellious children, that's painful for them, painful for you. It's not God's will. And we have a whole crop of rebellious children in this, you know, in this nation, and it's because the family's fallen apart. Fathers have left, you know, and there's, they're not teaching the word of the Lord in the homes anymore. That's why one of the reasons I gave you that, um, that 
that uh, Bible reading plan is so that you would have your kids read it. Now, I, I'm probably going to be discouraged if I do a show of hands because most people aren't doing it. Why? Because I just know how it is. The flesh, the time, the devil wears everybody down. We like don't hold our kids to a standard maybe of reading the word and, and it'd be a miracle if you're on track reading it. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just telling you the fight to keep the word out of your home and out of your kids' hearts where they're getting discipled six hours a day by somebody in some local high school. God bless the local high school. But the odds are it's not a spirit-filled Holy Ghost teacher who's walking in purity and holiness. And you can't help but leak your philosophy or your, your political uh, your, your political lean towards people who are hearing you in science class teaching evolution, which doesn't even have a fossil record to back it. But if you could reduce, if you could teach everybody you came from, a, from, a, from a, the primordial slime and dumb down a whole culture, get them smoking pot and stupid, then you, you dumb them all down. And if you came from primordial slime, it's easy to kill babies. And if you came from an ape, it's not a big deal. What's the big deal? You didn't come from the primordial slime. You were created. And even when you were in your mother's womb, he knew you and he's got a plan for you. There's a sanctity of life. Holiness and purity. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Love you don't teach that at home. I mean, I've known parents that have not given their kids that bedrock of the instruction of the word and they send them off to college and they just get just totally robbed of their faith. Totally robbed. Even in Christian schools and colleges, there's, listen, some people send their kids off to Christian school to try to get them, you know, better or on track, and they end up teaching everybody else to drink and smoke and fornicate and pollute the whole dorm. I'm going to tell you over and over and over, if you don't teach your kids, who's going to teach them? And you'll stand before God, as will I, for how you've instructed them. I think we ought to commit ourselves to do a better job. To not teach your child is to raise a potential rebellious child. Listen, even when you do teach them, you're going to have to come against that spirit of the age. And you're going to have to war, and you're going to have to pray, and you're going to have to teach them. And if you don't teach them, I think that's pretty hopeless then, except for a miracle from God. And maybe they're in a good youth group and maybe you're coming here. I hope you are. And they're going to hear the word and we're going to do our best. But if you're not doing it at home, don't you think that we can fix that? Listen, I'll be here. We'll be here to counsel you, weep with you, and help you find a rehab for your child. I ain't joking. I've seen so many people just... I've seen kids that were addicted to the to all kinds of screens growing up for year after year after year after year in services on Sunday morning. Didn't want to put them up with Children's Church. We've seen this. Y'all seen it. And so, no, my kid doesn't want to go to Children's Church yet because you let him rot his brain in the main service while he's looking at a device for the hour and a half that he's here. He's not supposed to stand up. He doesn't have to honor the word. He doesn't read the word. He just stares and plays the latest Candy Crush or whatever stupid game is on the phone now. And then years go by and they're not serving God. And you're like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, I know what happened. What are you talking about? I tried to help you. You allowed him to get him or her to get isolated and to, to get strange. And then you allowed for friends to come from some public school of, you know, the, the, the kid that came from. I'm trying to be kind. I'm just telling you. 
If you're gonna if you're gonna heal your family tree, you have to teach, you have to have a healthy marriage. And if you don't have a healthy marriage, then have a healthy relationship with the Lord. And God will make up a difference and maybe bring you a spouse. Or if you're gonna stay single the rest of your life, praise God, you can raise your child, you can raise your son and your daughter in the house of the Lord and learn to live a godly life, and they can then have a blessed life. If you are married, you gotta have a healthy marriage, and you have to teach your kids. You have to read the word, pray the word. You ought to have times of prayer in your house. You ought to take communion in your house. You all these list of things. How do I do it? It's not a list of things. It's a relationship of, with the Lord that gets imparted to your kids. Well, do we have to go to church? You better believe you have to go to church. I don't want to go. Well, I don't care if you want to go. You're going. You know why? I'm your father and I said so. Which is going to bring me into some of this discipline stuff. I'm going to break this into two parts. That's part one. Lift your hands. Keys, please. Come on, lift your hands to heaven all across this place. It's a great word. Great pastoral word. You know, you might be here and you went through some of the trauma. Really, Lord? I was seven years old. My mother and father gathered both me and my two brothers from the different parts of the house. 17 Highwood Road, Old Field, Long Island. I could tell you where I was standing when I got the news. I could tell you what the entire room looked like. My favorite song was Bye Bye Miss American Pie from John McClain. Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Drove the Chevy to the meadow. And good old. No, no drinking whiskey. I used to play that part. I used to sit with a Carmen Harden record player and I used to play with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost left for the coast. The day the music died, I would weep over and over. I'd play it over and over. Seven. I gathered, they had a family gathering. and They went off to the, the master bedroom. and They called us one by one. I was the youngest. And so John, my, my oldest brother, who serves the Lord, loves God, he was called first. Remember John got up, we got to sit on the couch in the living room, waiting. What's going on? I don't know what's going on. I don't know, brother. I don't know what's going on. John comes out. Like somebody cut him in half. Weeping, uncontrollable weeping. And so seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. He's 12. He comes out at 12 years old, hand in his face, shaking, walks past us, 
Sean, what's the matter? You'll find out. And he just runs off. So we're terrified. My next brother goes. Chris, who's lying in a hospital right now, being supernaturally healed from diverticulitis. I love you, Chris. Chris goes in. Now I'm sitting by myself. Chris comes out. He's just as bad a shape as John. Weeping, crying, shaking. What's happening? You'll find out. And they walked off. And then I remember my father appears. Says, Danny, come on. And I didn't know what was going to happen. They brought me in. They sat me down. They said, uh, we want you to know that we're not going to be married anymore. I said, well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that's seven. What do you know what's seven? I said, what do you mean? And uh, my mother says, Dad's not going to live here anymore. I said, well, why not? So, well, things aren't working out. Where are you going, Dad? And the crushing weight of the violence of divorce ripped through my family and brought a curse. I couldn't understand it. Oh, and all the, all the alimony and child support and court cases. And Dad lived in some other place. We got to go there every other weekend, which was so weird. I live with my mother who, who got, was it $300 a week? It might have been $200 a month or something. Not a week, a month. I remember, I remember we were so broken and so poor that we had a bag of Lenders bagels. Anybody remember those? East Coast, pre-cut. One bag for all of us for a week. We would eat the bagel. Then I'd go to my father's house and there'd be like the lap of luxury. He was a lawyer. My mother was a starving artist. It was so confusing. And it ripped me in half. I didn't intend on doing this. Hey, I'm healed. Don't weep for me. I'm good. Why would you tell a story like that? Because sometimes people don't hear it from the perspective of somebody as a child who went through it. For the longest time, I thought it was my fault. I didn't have any counseling. I got left back. My, my learning went, went nuts. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hardly read. I got left back. Second grade. It's just one thing after another began to snowball. And I, I got to this place and then how the enemy began to move in, neighbors and all kinds of perversion. And all of a sudden, all after that, there was pornography and, and stacks of pornographic magazines that showed up somewhere. I mean, it was just like one curse after another just came down on the family. And then, and then drugs. My next door neighbor thought it'd be cute to take a second grader and get him high. What he didn't know is I was looking for something to set me free. We didn't have the Lord. So, I mean, that this experience of getting high took away the pain that I had for my father and my mother. 
And so it was like, it was like a fish to water, man. When somebody gave me something, oh, that could ease the pain a little bit. I began to be a pot smoker in second grade. How insane is that? That's insane in today's standards. Never mind in the 70s. And this cycle of addiction and sugar and anything I could to ease myself. Wounded and hurting. It wasn't until I received Jesus that he came and set me free. And if you're here tonight, and this, this has touched you in a place where perhaps you too have experienced divorce. It's not the end of life, but you do need healing. And, and maybe you're here, you, you experienced divorce in your family as a kid, and, and you want to be healed of that. If that's you, step out from where you are and come all the way up to the front. And secondly, you can start coming right now. It's all, that's why we have what we have. That's why we do what we do. Don't let shame keep you in your seat. There's a tremendous unction of the Holy Spirit right now to break that curse and to heal you of the wounds of your past or even when you were a child. Okay, you say, well, I'm, I've gone through stuff. As a married person, I've been divorced. Well, great. I mean, not great, but thank you for your honesty. Come, you're going to get healed. You say, well, there's been divorce in my family, and that's never going to happen. I am ending the curse of divorce for the rest of my generations and my kids, and I am never going to get divorced. I break that curse tonight. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.